Just go ahead and invite uh, Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. Welcome back to another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. We're on episode 14. This is an interesting episode. Today we have Tessie Castillo and Lyle May. Now, if you live in the Carolinas, you may know of Lyle. If you frequently read about issues of addiction or mental health, you may know Tessie from her writing. But for very different reasons, you know both of those people. As I mentioned, Tessie is a fantastic writer. She recently wrote the book Crimson Letters, Voices from Death Row. I ordered this book and it didn't get to me in time for the interview, which was fine. And then I started reading it. It came the day after, uh, of course. It's not often, look, I don't have a lot of patience. That's That's something that people who know me well know about me. I am limiting myself to a chapter of this book, maybe two a day, because I don't want it to end. Crimson Letters, Voices from Death Row, is written and edited by Tessie, but it includes stories from four men on death row. It is a glimpse into people's lives that we don't often get in... In any form, especially when the people are convicted murderers on death row. Lyle May is one of them. Lyle May had a particularly famous case, infamous case. But what's so fantastic about these letters and about this book and about our conversation is that this is the Lyle beyond those headlines. Lyle made a mistake. He made one of the worst mistakes you can make. And he opens up about that, about who he is as a person and and the story behind that mistake in the book. In our interview, we get to hear who this person is beyond the title of death row inmate. And it's, it, I had trouble talking to Lyle because everything he said was so, like I say this at one point in the interview, it just kept leaving me speechless. I will be surprised if you, you don't feel the same way. It's horrible the way that some of these men are treated in prison. That's not news. But Lyle really challenges us to say we as society are failing if this is how we treat the people that we have seen do wrong. 
Um, quick editor's note. The sound quality on this episode is the worst sound quality I've had to work with yet. I I don't have a lot of experience in sound editing. I have some, but this was tough to work with. As you'll learn in this episode, to to be interviewed, Lyle, or to, to talk to anyone even, loved ones, whatever, Lyle gets 15 minutes per call. He was able to call in three times in a row, so we got him for a total of 45 minutes, of which probably a cumulative five to seven was used on technical difficulties. The second time he called in, uh, it was not connecting to Zoom. There was an issue. And so he talks through the speakerphone, which Tessie holds up to her microphone. But Zoom, which I used to record, did not like that there was a person calling on the phone and there were people talking. I mean, it just didn't go well. And you'll hear Lyle in the background. You'll hear yelling. I did the best I could with the audio. It's not terrible, but it's not great. And that really that really made me think because Tessie wrote a book like this. She wrote a book where the only time she could talk to her co-authors were in these short snippets. And when she wanted them to send their chapters, they had to do so by snail mail. Which means that when she had edits, she had to send them back by snail mail. And when they came back with their second draft, it came back by snail mail, you know? And it just makes you appreciate the work Tessie put in even more. And beyond that, it makes you think, like, imagine the relationship we get to have with those that we love. My parents, my grandmother. I can call her and we can chat whenever. Lyle can't do that. The people in prison cannot do that. It's, a, it's an ordeal, as you'll hear. So please take all of that into account. You can find Lyle's contact in the show notes. You can find where to buy Tessie's book in the show notes. Please do that. The book is incredible. Tessie is a wonderful writer. I am so enjoying it. I, I, <laughs> I couldn't put it down the first day I got it, and I had to stop because I was like, this will be over, and I'll be sad. Also, there's a shout-out today from someone incredible. She is a very, very funny comedian. And not only that, but she talks about issues of addiction and mental health in her comedy. That is Veronica Porras. Here's what's cool about Veronica. Not only everything I just said, Veronica's actually going to come on the podcast. So I reached out to her and said, I would like a message that I can share on the podcast. That's how I get these shout outs. And she was all for it. You'll hear it. It's great. But then afterwards, she said, you know, I host a podcast. This is what I do. I love these topics. And I said, well, if you would be open to it, she said, sure. So you'll hear a shout out from her today. In probably a month and a half or two months, sometime over the summer, you'll hear an actual interview with Veronica, which is awesome. That's the first time this has happened, and that makes me super happy. So enjoy the episode. <laughs> Go buy Tessie's book and stick around after the episode for the Choose Your Card and Good Egg. You know, what I do for my mental health, you know, I'm taking a break for my um, computer. I have daily readers, um, I do meditation, whether it's like 10 seconds, 
or an hour or even if it's just like three seconds or just three deep breaths and then three like big um, exhales. Um, stretching, yoga, um, I do therapy sessions with my Zoom, um, my podcast, Poor Us Podcast, we talk about tough shit on a budget and you know talk about stigma your podcast talks about stigma uh shed the shame you know get the help that you need and uh whatever your mental conditions are bipolar add whatever it's all it's all good and there's help available there's plenty of uh therapists out there that could work with your budget and uh, get the help that you need and don't give up on yourself you know that's what i'm doing so yeah stay safe during this quarantine uh thank you for your podcast uh i will check out more episodes so have a good one thanks bye huge shout out to my podcast sponsor mountain made cbd mountain made is changing the cbd game by offering a line of high dose cbd tablets at an affordable price their products are thc free and third-party tested for accuracy, cleanliness, and potency. Their products, which now ship nationwide, include Build for CBD saturation, Boost for precision titration, and Recover for rest and rehab. With nine years' experience in hemp and fitness, Mountain Maid's founders are focused on creating a quality CBD product to help those with activated lifestyles. Check out www.mountainmade.life to find out more about how their product can help you crush your life. And you know, I'm all about that. Remember, their products ship nationwide. So go check out the website today and follow them on social media at Mountain Made. And also listen to episode seven with Mountain Made founder, Mike Passion. All right, back to the episode. My name is Tessie Castillo, and I'm a co-author of Crimson Letters, Voices from Death Row. Tell us how this book came to be, and we're about to talk to one of your, one of your co-authors. Yeah, so this book came about on accident. I think most good things in my life have. I was at a Super Bowl party in 2013. I'm not really much of a football fan, and so I was just hanging out near the food. And this guy came over and we started talking and he told me that he was a prison psycho psychologist and that he worked specifically with men on death row. And I thought that was fascinating and, and started asking him all kinds of questions about the job and about the men and about the prison. And, and he told me that that year, uh, the warden, they had a new warden and he had decided to open up the prison for the very first time in the history of death row to people, to volunteers, to come in and teach classes. And they were teaching now um, art classes and yoga classes and uh, restorative justice classes and, and a number of things. So I asked if I could teach a writing class. And he said, well, go ahead and apply. So I applied and I ended up getting in. And I taught the class to about 24 or so men on death row. And I really got to know them. It, was a, it wasn't a class about how to write grammatically. It was mostly about writing about their past and trying to come to terms with their pasts and with the things they've done in their past and with where they are now living on death row. And after 
several months of that class, I, uh, I just really got, I met so many men and I learned so much about them and was sort of struck by the sense of normalcy, I think, among them, just how regular they were and how little I felt afraid when I was with them. And so I decided to write an, a letter to the, to the local newspaper. And I did, basically advocating for the humanity of people on death row. And for that, I was dismissed from the prison and my class was canceled. And so I started writing to the guys <laughs> after that. And, and I started a correspondence with several of them who are now the co-authors of this book. So have, have you seen any progress since then or do you think that that would still happen today? Oh, it would absolutely happen. In fact, I, it, they've gone backwards since then. Uh, that, award, that warden who had originally opened up the prison to allow the classes is gone. And the warden who replaced him got rid of all of the classes. So they don't have any anymore. This is a global tail link prepaid call from Lyle May. An inmate at Central Prison. This call will be monitored and recorded. Hello. First off, if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, my name is Lyle May. I've been on death row for the last 21 years. I've been incarcerated since 1997 and have grown up in prison, essentially, since the age of 19. I'm now 42. During that time, though, I've not been idle, not in the least. I've managed to earn an associate's in arts degree with a social science emphasis through Ohio University. Last year, I was inducted into the Alpha Sigma Lambda Honor Society and I'm currently enrolled in a Bachelor of Specialized Studies degree program in criminal justice administration. When I'm not studying, I write about the criminal justice system, and the penal system specifically, and my experiences therein. Every opportunity I receive to talk about that experience and to uh, share the experiences of others with the public is an opportunity I try to seize. What ignited in you this passion for writing, for telling your story? What was the thing that finally ignited that desire in you to talk about some of these issues and to tell your story? My, I guess you could say the it didn't get ignited until within the last five or six years, maybe. See, I, I had tried writing. I'd written self-published memoir back in 2013, and while it was a part of the story, it was not the entire story, of course. And you know, I'd gotten some feedback that was <laughs> pointing that out to me, and I was like, okay, you know, I can always rewrite it, or I can write more. It wasn't until uh, there was a series of programs that were brought to death row in 2014, 2015 by. Uh, the psychological programs director, Dr. Peter Coons. And that first program he, he brought was creative writing. And I began to really explore what it means to, you know, dig up the, the emotional content connected to your past and how it impacts your, your thinking and your behavior in the current sense. So, as I began writing essays and, you know, really just exploring that, I, I began to understand that the writing I had done before was empty. 
if, if, that, if that's a good way to describe it. Or it did, I wasn't fully connected to it. It was uh, not very emotional. So uh, shortly after that first class, Tessie came to Central Prison to do a journaling class. And this is where, you know, she was kind enough to uh, remind me to, you know, certainly use more emotion in my writing. And it wasn't that I wasn't talking about it enough. It's that I wasn't connected to what it was I was writing. I wasn't digging hard enough. I wasn't really putting myself completely behind the words that I was putting on the page. And once I began doing that, I began to see a difference. Uh, I began to feel a difference. You know, uh, it became this situation where I would write something, and I'll use an example from the book. Learning to Die was probably the, the hardest piece I've ever had to write because I had not really sat with the thought of my friends being executed. I hadn't really molded over in my mind and say, well, how do I describe this for somebody that's never had that experience? What do I tell them? that it's like, how it feels. And putting that on the page was, it was a struggle. It was hard. I didn't want to do it. I, I fought back <laughs> against just about every edit that Tessie had for it. It was in that writing that I, I really began to understand what it means to lay yourself on the page and, and let people see you for who you really are. That was beautifully said. And I, I, I read your piece altruism is a choice on prison writers and it's 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 vulnerable in a way that i think most people would not associate with with prison and i would love an answer from both of you on this is how difficult is it to tap into some of that tessie as the instructor and and then lyle from your perspective in a place that does not in any way either reward that or foster that sort of environment of vulnerability so getting the guys to open up and be vulnerable was probably the biggest challenge of the writing class. Um, it is an environment where uh, vulnerability can be exploited um, and seen as a weakness. And I think it, it really, it didn't work with everybody. Um, we actually had a lot of people drop out of the class over time, the writing class, uh, because I think they were uncomfortable with that aspect of it. And we did have some trust issues at first, either between them and me, them not really being sure who is this woman, why is she here, why is she asking us all these personal questions, why does she want this information from us, um, and then amongst the men themselves. But I think it, that trust comes over time, just from showing up day after day and from accepting when people are able to be vulnerable the way that you react to that vulnerability with an attitude of non-judgment, with an attitude of encouragement, of understanding, of acceptance. Um, and over time that can lead to trust, which encourages more vulnerability. Um, and, and I think that that is what ultimately happens over many years now of correspondence and working on this book with the guys. So from our side of things, well, certainly from my side of things, I, uh, in digging into that, that vulnerability, uh, I admit to bristling at first, uh, to probing questions and things of that nature, because I, I was not used to opening up like that, not to uh, shrink, not to 
family members, not really to anybody. And that's kind of what this re- writing required uh, to, you know, do things that I had never done before. And once I, I started down that path, it became a, a whole different issue of having to wade through my own issues in order to see the end goal of, you know, a piece of writing to, you know, understand that, you know, this is only a part of the process. And that was a whole different kind of struggle. Yeah, he did bristle. (laughs) (laughs) I have a saying that I I say in pretty much every one of these podcasts, which is that vulnerability begets vulnerability, empathy begets empathy. You know, it's what I try to do when I interview people. Tessie and and Lyle, I I guess, Tessie, I would love to know from you, was that something that you had to do as their instructor? What are, how did you do this? I mean, how did you, how were you able to break through in some of these circumstances that, you know, as I said, it, it's not like this, it's not like the scenario was one that fostered this sort of, of openness. Um, so honestly, I've also struggled with vulnerability for most of my life. <laughs> and when I first started teaching the class, and even when we first started writing to each other, that was something that I also held back from. And it had a lot to do with um, never having had experience with people on death row and some fears and stereotypes and misconceptions that I had about them. Um, It had to do with even just the orientation when we were going into the prison as volunteers, the entire orientation was basically just saying, these guys are con men, don't believe anything they say, don't ever get personal, don't get close to them. It just repeated over and over and over again, these are bad men, don't, don't expose yourself to them in, in any way because they'll we take you 60 in. seconds remaining. And so that was something that stayed with me throughout the class. Can you call back loud, please? Yep, hold on Is there, what is the time limit, like 10 minutes on calls or? 15. Okay. Hey, the, for some reason, it's not going into Zoom this time, so I have you on the speakerphone again. Okay. They, the prison did not allow the men to receive the manuscript of the book before it was published, so they couldn't see the final draft before it came out. And then once it was published, the prison confiscated their copies and banned it from the prison system. So now they're not even allowed to possess copies of the own, their own book that they wrote. Yeah, so Lyle, talk a little bit. You know, you wrote an article on prison officials cutting off higher education, and it sounds like, obviously, it's not just higher education that they're cutting off. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what, how hard it is to try to be, in the eyes of the prison system, something other than just a convicted criminal? is an ongoing struggle. It is something I wrestle with daily. Uh, Any time I submit a piece to get it published, I I don't feel like the work is done. Even in submitting lessons to the university, it's a very fine line between Lyle May, who is a university student, and Lyle May, who's been sentenced to death. I struggle with that. I, it's not an easy, not an easy thing to deal with. 
there's a movement sort of around the mental health community that is behind the rallying cry, your mistakes do not define you. And it's sort of a trying to underscore that every day we fail, we, we, we fall down, but it's all about getting back up and continuing. We obviously, you know, we're not, we don't want or need to talk about your particular case, but how hard is it to deal with your own mental health and trying to move past that sort of uh, using that sort of idea to to move forward every day in a situation or living in an environment that does nothing if not try to label you and remind you every single day of a mistake that you made it can be exhausting it's you know, to use uh, an analogy it's a lot like lifting a weight you know you can't lift but trying anyway because there's nothing, nobody's going to lift it for you. Nobody's going to help you. It's up to you to move the weight, to chip uh, away at those labels, to continue to resist this idea that you're worthless, that you will never be more in this one event, in this one period of time than anything becomes a way of finding your identity as opposed to letting others define it for you. So I've got a couple more questions, but I think that the, the number one is I want to give you a chance to shout out all the places that we can still read your work. I know some of them have been taken away from you, but uh, give, give, give my listeners a chance to come find you online and read your work. Well, at the top of the list is scalawagmagazine.org. They're a, a wonderful organization in Durham, North Carolina. About They write, they carry stories about uh, social justice issues of the South. Uh, they've been uh, kind in allowing me, allowing uh, space for my voice in their publication. Uh, next would be insidehighered.com. I recently wrote for them about the struggle of higher education in prison. And those are primarily the, the two spots that I, I've been published in over the last couple of years. And obviously we want to shout out the book, Tessie, if you wouldn't mind doing that. Sure. So Crimson Letters, Voices from Death Row is available on Amazon. It's available through any bookstore if you just ask them to order it. Um, also, you can find links to my social media on my website, www.tessiecastillo.com. And I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can follow me on all those sites. Lyle, you know, we were talking right before we got cut off about how difficult it is to maintain your mental health in, in a place that is pretty much set up to try to beat it out of you. So what do you do every day to make sure that you're doing or you're giving yourself the best chance to maintain healthy mental health? I try to stay balanced. I, I, a majority of my day is writing and, and reading and studying and staying focused on the various tasks I, I've set up for myself, but it's also an issue of staying almost hyper-organized. You know, every, everything in its place and the place for everything. I exercise almost religiously uh, every day, uh, lots of calisthenics and, and running. I work, work out probably about as hard as I, I write, you know, and that helps. And then, you know, I, I try do my best to relax toward the later evening. 
but my reading material is never that relaxing. It is also academic, largely. Currently reading uh, two books right now. They're by excellent people. Uh, one is Insane, which is the criminalization of mental illness uh, by Lisa Roth. She's an excellent author and has really done a great job in describing exactly how so many people who have mental illness have wound up in the prison system and what we can do to fix that. Uh, and there, there are ways. The, the other book I'm reading is uh, a little bit more technical by a woman named Elise Barkow, and it's called Prisoners of Politics. And it is really a, a discourse on the way the criminal justice system should be removed from the electorate. Uh, that is a part of the problem, a large part of the problem, and the criminal justice system should be put in the hands of experts who understand the statistics and should have greater control over sentencing and how crimes are defined and as well as prison systems uh, run. So we could do an entire episode on just the disastrous uh, policies surrounding uh, our, our criminal justice system in, in this country. But what I specifically would love to, to have you talk a little bit more about in the time that we have left is how it is being in prison in, in the sense of a mental health space. I am sure that you are, well, you know what, I don't know. Are you in the minority of people who are doing mental health practices every day to try to uh, give themselves the best chance? Or, or is it obviously what those of us out here know about prison is very small. So, so talk a little bit about what mental health is like in prison and what, what is it like for just an, an average person trying to keep their sanity in a place that is trying to destroy it in, in, in prison? It is a battle. It's, it's really that simple. The lack of uh, mental health programming and rehabilitative programming in prisons is criminal, not merely for the fact that the majority of people who are in prison will one day get out and will be lacking the very skills they need to survive within the free world, but because of the, the environment that's in this place that makes it so hard to not only deal with people on a regular basis, I, but to deal with the time itself. And I don't think I could convey to you in, in just a few minutes or even a few books uh, the difficulties of, of doing so. Uh, maybe one of the worst things that Central Prison Administration could have done was back in 2017, they removed uh, Dr. Peter Coons from his position as psychological programs director. And since then, almost all of the programs, mental health services on death row were eliminated with uh, a very few uh, remaining that are, are just wholly inadequate. While Dr. Coons had his programs on death row, there was an entirely different feeling. Uh, people were buoyant. Uh, even staff were in greater, more positive moods. There were fewer write-ups, fewer people were going to lock up. And then morale was at an all-time high, and that's not something you, you ever hear about on death row. And then he was basically forced out, and a lot of his programs were eliminated, and the volunteers pushed out. And everything went back to the way it was, and you could feel 
the difference. Uh, it was almost palpable the the level of depression that immediately set in, and you know people went back to were going back and forth to lock up. Uh, more arguments broke out. Life just became that much more miserable because we saw what it was like to be treated like human beings and have an opportunity to improve our mental health. And when that was removed from us, it was like, oh, so this is what it's like to be treated like an animal. And you you know it's not just this prison. You know it's not just this state, that there are other places in the country that are feeling this, that are like other people that are experiencing this. And that, and that, I think, is probably the worst part about being educated, because the more you know, the harder it is to accept that this is the way that they treat people. Most of what you're saying is just kind of leaving me speechless. Like I'm not sure how to how to follow that. I, I would say, you know, we, since we're we're coming up against the time that we're going to have you here, if you could leave us with one sort of overarching message that you wish people on the outside knew about your life and knew about what you had to face every day, what what would that call to action be for 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 anyone listening to this podcast? The thing that everybody should remember is that people in prison are human beings. They have made mistakes. They have made some horrible mistakes in some cases. But that doesn't stop them from being people. It doesn't remove their right to a certain level of care while they're in prison. To maintain that adequate level of care requires responsibility, not just from the people within the prison administration, not just from the legislators who assign money and budgets to the penal system, but it also lends a certain responsibility to the public. The public has a duty to the people it incarcerates. If you want to improve your communities, if you want to make where you live a better place, then you have to address the problems. You can't sweep them under the rug and behind the walls and within the cells and assume that it's going to get better like that when it, it certainly won't. For those of us who are in prison, for those of us that have these opportunities to speak out, I think you need to understand that we're works in progress. Some people take longer to learn than others. Some people just were never given those chances. But once they're given those chances, once you provide those resources, such as primarily education is what I'm talking about, but also mental health services and certainly uh, a chance to see what it's like to be treated fairly, then you can really begin to change uh, the people that you're incarcerated. Then you can really begin to address the issue of, of crimes in your, in your neighborhoods and in your communities. Well, thank you, Lyle, for, for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. And, and give us one more chance to find you. Shout out where we can read your work. Certainly. You can always read me at scalawagmagazine.org and insidehighered.com as well as the recently published Crimson Letters, Voices from Death Row. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. You gave up your time to, to speak today. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate it. And um, I know that there's probably very little chance of you being able to hear this, unfortunately. But 
I will definitely obviously let Tessie know when it comes out and, and uh, if there's a way that she can, you know, get, get it to you, then w I would love for you to be able to listen. Well, th thank you. I certainly appreciate the opportunity. Let's finish you and I with a couple of the things that he and I were, were just talking about. And the first is, is um, I ask all of my guests what they do for their mental health. And I think that it'd be even more interesting, not just what you do, you know, in your self-care habits, but when you were working in the prison, as you said, you had to overcome a lot of false conceptions, a lot of uh, stigma. Talk a little bit about what that was like and how you were able to, to work past that. The number one thing that I had to learn how to do, and I would say that this is true both for overcoming stigma about other people and for my own mental health, is to learn how to accept what's right in front of me. Um, and I think often what I, what I was doing before is I would be thinking about, not about the person who I was, who was standing in front of me on death row, but about what they had done in the past, potentially. Uh, and I was judging them on what they had done in the past, or I was worried about what would happen in the future if I developed a friendship with this person. And I was just constantly oscillating between past and future instead of really focusing on who is this person right now. And so that's what I learned how how to focus on. And I found in doing that that I don't know what kind of people Lyle and, and George and Terry and Michael, my co-authors, were 20 years ago when these crimes were committed, but I feel that I know who they are now. And you can hear from just from Lyle uh, what in, incredibly insightful and mature and, and just grounded people they really are. Uh, and I was able to appreciate that, and, and that's how I've overcome the stigma in that way. And same with my own mental health. I really try to focus on the present moment as much as I can and not judge what's happening now through the lens of, of past trauma that I've been through or trying to predict what's going to happen in the future all, the, like, all this time. I mean, just recently I, I had, I'm, I'm not currently working at a paid job. And I'm just taking this time to put the book together and to go on this book tour. And I had planned a book tour and I was excited about it. And then COVID-19 happened and I had to cancel the entire thing. And I think if that had happened a couple of years ago, I would have been devastated to put that much work into something and, and just to see it gone like that. But now I've learned to just accept that, that that's what happened. <laughs> and there's nothing I can do about it. So let's just take this one day at a time. And I've been able to uh, replace the book events with podcast interviews, um, which have been really wonderful and something I may not have focused on otherwise. So I feel like when you take it day by day and you focus on what's right in front of you, you, you learn to appreciate things and, and you might even see other avenues open up to you that you may have not considered before. I can certainly uh, echo that. As I was saying before, I had never had plans for a podcast. Actually, three weeks before I started this, someone had told me, hey, you know, what you do would make a great podcast. And I was like, nah, everyone's doing a podcast. And then COVID started to rear its head. And I went, okay, I guess I'm going to try a podcast. And it's been, you know, a wonderful experience. So thank you for that message. That's incredibly helpful and definitely true for, for a lot of us in this time when our lives have been sort of upended and, and what we thought we were going to be doing has has changed 
let's let's use that as another opportunity to shout out where people can find the book and uh i want all my listeners to go buy it you can get crimson letters voices from death row on amazon you can order it from any local bookstore just ask them to order it for you uh, or you can find a link on my website www.tessiecastillo.com you can find me on facebook at tessie castillo and i'm on twitter and instagram at tessie the writer have you ever thought about starting your own podcast and then thought man i just i don't even know where to begin well i have the perfect answer for you it's anchor they have all the tools you need to get started right away all in one spot you can do it from your phone or your computer They'll even distribute for you so you don't have to go looking for places to get your podcast out. But the best part is it's all free. That's right. You can sign up today without any hassle at all. You can even start making money right from the beginning. It's everything you need in a podcast in one place. So check it out today. Go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. All right, we're at the close of another episode. Thank you all for tuning in. I sincerely hope you enjoyed that interview. I've said this before, but if you would have told me back in February when I started this that I would be sitting down with an incredible writer who I respect in Tessie Castillo and talking to somebody on death row, I would not have believed you. I just wouldn't have. And and I've said this a lot, but I can see the data in front of me. I can see how many people are listening, where you're listening from, all that kind of stuff. And And those are interesting. Seeing it continue to grow makes me happy. But more than anything, it's the content that I get to produce. And the fact that I got to talk to someone in, in Lyle who is going through an experience that I will never know, hopefully. Someone in Tessie who showed a, a presence of mind to recognize her own prejudice against those on death row and then do something about it. That's just incredible to me. Now, I know what at least one or two of you are thinking. Why should we care? And I say that not because I think that there are people in mind who are going to be like, why would I listen to this person on death or something like that. But if you go to Lyle's links, if you search for Lyle May and go to his writing, always people jump in the comments with, you know, we shouldn't be promoting people like you or people like you don't deserve this opportunity. One of his pages, the victim of his crime's sister, I think it was his, her sister, jumped in the comments and had some very horrible things to say. But also, you understand where she's coming from. This is a tough one because... Look, full disclosure, I'm not a proponent of the death penalty. I also am a huge... I, I am very aware that our prison system is just awful. Our, our, our justice system is terrible as a country, as a, as a world, but especially in this country. 
That being said, I don't have the right answers. I can't imagine what that woman who lost her sister to Lyle's heinous mistake is is feeling. I can't. I don't want to. So I don't have all the answers. What I will say is even if you believe that someone like Lyle deserves death, again, I don't agree with you. Even if you believe that he should be deserving of life imprisonment, and I'm still not 100% on board with that, but I am more into that conversation. It's hard for me to understand where you'd be coming from that these people, these men, don't deserve to be treated like people. I don't get that. Just because they've committed one of the acts that we consider to be heinous does not mean, and look, it is heinous, but it doesn't mean that they're not people. So that's where I struggle. That's my struggle. That's my struggle on this one. I hope you buy Tessie's book. I said it earlier. I love it. She is just a great, great writer, and she put together a fantastic book. She's also a really great person. I do follow her on social media, and I enjoy her writing very much. I, after I was like a couple of chapters into the book, I emailed her and was like, I need more. <laughs> like, tell me where to get all your stuff. And she was very complimentary. I mean, she was very appreciative, and she sent me more of her, her old articles that I hadn't seen. And uh, I, I'm now a huge Tessie Castillo fan. So we're on to the the choose your card and the good egg for today and they're all gonna they're they're both gonna tie into this theme from this episode normally as you know i shuffle them up and i i choose a card from the shuffle but 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 i didn't do that this week i chose one that i think goes well with with this theme it is this and it's from the nuggets of kindness card pack again blurt uh, doesn't sponsor this. I just use their stuff and I love their work. So thank you, Blurt Foundation. This is again from the Nugget of Kindness card pack. It says this. The past builds us, molds us, and influences us. But it doesn't define us. Who we were yesterday is not who we are today. Who we are today is not who we will be tomorrow. I think that's so incredibly important. As Lyle and I talked about on the episode, your past does not define you. Your mistakes do not define you. Lyle is in a situation where his mistake, his greatest mistake, is going to define him for the rest of his life. He did something that is inexcusable, and he's going to pay for it possibly with his life. I have never committed that act, but I've made mistakes. We all have. I can't imagine if I had to spend the rest of my life with my greatest mistakes hanging around my neck. If I had to live the rest of my life being labeled as my greatest mistake, I would not be handling it well. I've chosen something to define me that was a mistake, that was an error, and that was my struggles with addiction. And it it is who it is what made me who I am today. But I have chosen to allow that to to define me on my terms. Lyle didn't get that choice. So here's your good egg for today. 
challenge your own convictions. What I'm talking about, that person that you didn't like in high school, is it really worthy of you still holding that grudge today? That coach who didn't play you in high school baseball or that boss when you were fresh out of college who made you his gopher. Instead, take something from them. Take a lesson. Teach your children better. Be a better boss when you have the chance. So that's your good egg. Find that hurt and sit with it. And maybe, just maybe, you'll be ready to let it go. Go buy Crimson Letters, Voices from Death Row. I can't say that enough. Tessie is incredible. The stories are great. And reach out. You know where to find me. But if not, I don't think I said it on this podcast yet. My website is www.jayshifman.com, jshifman.com. Instagram is the next Shiftman. Facebook is jshifman. LinkedIn is jshifman. And Twitter is at jbshifman. Reach out, request a bracelet if you don't remember how. I'm not throwing an ad on this episode, but just reach out to me and I'll, I'll probably give it to you anyways. And choose your struggle.